climate change. People just need to wake up and appreciate that if they don't do their part, it's gonna be 10 times harder. So really you need to get more and more collaborations going, not just with partners, but with customers, with people that normally you wouldn't collaborate with. And my name's Charles Carlson. I work in Siemens Energy. The dark web can be like a restaurant for identity thieves. Hi, ready to order? I'll have the driver's license number. Great, that comes with a home address or a birth date. Ooh, both, please. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. On the 9th of August, 1956, about 20,000 women marched to the union buildings in Pretoria to protest against legislation aimed at tightening the apartheid government's control over the movement of black women in urban areas. They left petitions containing more than 100,000 signatures at Prime Minister J.G. Stradham's office door. They stood silently outside his door for 30 minutes it is 64 years since this event has come to represent women's courage and strength in South Africa. Throughout the years, women continue to look for ways to make their voices heard and narrate their own stories. And we take this opportunity to celebrate phenomenal women of South Africa. We are joined by our two lovely hosts, Siva Gengen and Teresa Yates. Siva Kengen is the Chief Executive Officer of Legal Wise South Africa. She is a high performance management professional with over 25 years experience in the insurance sector. She is an attorney, conveyancer, notary public and certified director. Teresa Yates is the National Director of Propono Org. Previously, Teresa was the Deputy National Director of the Legal Resources Center and has not only legal training, but a background in human rights and development on the continent. I will now hand over to Tilly, who will introduce our guest speaker. Thank you, Abongile. Our guest speaker today is Tabelo Motswane, the founder of Sister-in-Law. Tabelo is an attorney by profession and obtained her law degree from the University of Johannesburg. In her personal capacity, she is a mother and a wife. Professionally, Tabello is currently a consultant at Rams Incorporated and a managing director at Collective Intelligence Legal Consultants. Tabello established Sustain-Law, her passion project in 2018, after realizing that women would often approach her for legal insights pertaining to their households and domestic violence. She came to realize that the lack of education and resources for women dates back to when her parents divorced and her mother was not privileged enough to know basic legal concepts pertaining to the consequences of divorce, child maintenance and estate planning. Her interest in this field is what led her to pursuing a degree in law and ultimately incorporating Sister-in-Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women and the community through legal education. The platform also extends to creating awareness around gender-based violence and facilitating campaigns which encourage women and children to speak out against GBV and men to speak and act against injustices against women and children. Over to you, Siva. 
We are so thrilled to have each and every one of you joining us. I'm honored to be sharing this space with Teresa Yates from ProBono.org as we engage in rich dialogue with women in law. Today, we extend a very warm welcome to Tabelo Matswane from Sister in Law. Tabelo, we are honored to be spending the next while with you and thank you for giving us your valuable time. Welcome. So can you give us a little bit of insight about you, Tabelo? First and foremost, um, thank you to Tilly for such an explosive introduction. It didn't sound like she was talking about me. Thank you to LegalWise and, and Pro Bono Org for putting such a phenomenal series together. Very, very important. So about myself, I am a 31-year-old attorney based in Johannesburg, um, born and bred in Johannesburg in Pretoria. I come from parents who are both Soto, um, from Lesotho. I grew up initially with both my parents, my, my, my mom and my dad. They were married for six years of my life. They divorced when I was uh, seven years old. And um, I've, I've, I've always been grateful that I've had a very, very good and solid relationship with both my parents. I've always been grateful that they also, you know, remained friends once the initial dust of the divorce was settled, you know. And I've just always um, looked up to both of them for the valuable contributions they've had to my life. So I grew up in Midrand most of my life, attended school in Midrand as well, um, and then attended university at the University of Johannesburg. So um, I chose law because initially I was just very passionate about wanting to understand more about why my parents did things in a certain way when they got divorced. For me, it was a very new concept that, um, you know, I was very, I, I had a routine at home. I was used to my dad leaving for work in the morning, um, my mom taking care of us, making sure that, you know, lunch is ready. When we come back from school, she's helping us with homework and so forth. And then having my dad come later in the evening to join us. So that routine then changed when there was a divorce. We were only allowed to see my dad every second weekend and every second holiday, you know, and, and, and on, you know, special events. And for me, that was something that really messed with my routine. So I wanted to understand more of that. And in studying law, luckily in the very first year, we did um, family, persons and family law. And that gave me an understanding of, of, of what was going on when my own parents divorced. Fast forward to a few years later, I didn't really have a particular interest in family law, but it really did come back to me through sister-in-law. And that's my journey up until today. That's a, an interesting um, start of your life. And I just want to follow up on that um, and ask you, as you were growing up, who inspired you to stick with your education, um, to become a professional woman? Were there particular people in your life who um, inspired you to come onto this path? Sure, Teresa, I absolutely love that question because it's so, so personal and so sentimental to me. So, um, like I said earlier, I, I, I grew up where my father was working and my mom was always at home. But when she got divorced, she then had to pursue her degree. You know, she was a full-on housewife when she was married to my dad. She then had to pursue her degree. And during those times, we didn't have a helper looking after us. So my mom had to take me with her to the library every Saturday because there was no one to look after me. She had to take me with her to the library and she really instilled the concept of reading. You know, every single Saturday morning, I would sit in the library for hours on end reading until words literally came out of my ear. 
And the one thing that she's always pushed has been getting an education. She always said, you have to do better. You have to do better than me. Um, I'm not going to allow you to think that, um, you know, you'll be rescued by marriage because that's not how it is. And I don't want you going into the world having an expectation that somebody else has to provide for you, you know, not in my lifetime. And she really, really instilled the concept of education, the importance of education, the importance of reading. I really, I really, I really commend her for that. Uh, even when I fell pregnant at age 19, I thought that, you know, the world is coming to an end. What am I going to do? I'm in my first year of studies. Um, I had done particularly well, but I thought my mom was going to say, listen, um, you really have to cons reconsider the whole school thing and just at least raise, you know, your son for a few years and then you'll pick up school once he's older. But she didn't say that. She literally took my son as her own and I continued with school uninterrupted for the duration of my degree. And I really, I really owe much of who I am to her and, you know, how she stressed the importance of education. It sounds like uh, that would have been a tough one to deal with. And how yeah. did you cope, Bello, with being a very young mother and having to study at the same time, having your child at such a young age? How did you cope with that? Like I said, she really, really played an important role in ensuring that I kept going to school. Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. And one memory that continuously comes back to me and still sends chills down my spine is the very first set of examinations that I had. So my son was born in January and the very set, first set of examinations that I had was in June. And there was a particular exam where he was teething and he was really just sick. He had a fever the whole night. He was crying. And I remember thinking, I cannot write tomorrow's exam. I'm exhausted. He's tired. I'm tired. And I was just crying. And my mom walked into the room at 1 a.m. decided to go to my aunt's house. So imagine my mom arriving at my aunt's house in the middle of the night with a crying baby who's got a fever just to give me time to study for my last exam. And that act of, you know, giving me the rest of the morning, the wee hours of the morning from 2 to about 8 a.m. till I wrote, really made such a huge impact in my life. And I only hope that I can extend that grace to other people that, that has been given on to me and shown to me. Thanks so much for that. And I just want to point out also that your story highlights the importance of libraries and access to reading materials because books in South Africa are so very expensive. The majority of people can't afford to walk into a bookshop and buy a book, but public libraries give children and people an opportunity to have access to a range of different books and literature. So that is so, so important. And it's nice to hear that that's where your love and passion for reading started. Who inspires you now? Where do you find your inspiration today? From this conversation you've gathered, definitely my mother. Mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> um, but my father too, you know, I think he's really... Um, the advantage with my father is that he had been in business long before my mom and in employment. So it's always been, you know, the best thing to get the best of both worlds. I've received the nurturing and the love and, you know, the softness from my mom. But I also received a lot of love from my dad, who I believe was or became a feminist because he had a daughter. So he's really just inspired me. Even when I said, OK, dad, I I'm not I'm, I'm not coping in, in the legal profession. I don't think law is for me. Um, I don't think the traditional legal system is for me. I want to branch out and do my own thing, which will have impact, which will inspire women. And he was very supportive along that journey. And 
he really gave a lot of advice on how to, you know, turn my skills in, in the legal profession into something that I really love, how to, how to almost um, merge my love for journalism and speaking and being a social butterfly, how to just put it together and really make a business out of what I initially thought would have just been a movement. You know, when, when I started System Law, I thought it would just be a movement, but he really taught me how to think, um, you know, in a business-minded fashion about it and how to also not lose the impact portion of, of the platform. Then outside of my parents is definitely Michelle Obama. Anyone who knows me knows that I absolutely love Michelle Obama. I'm inspired by her story. I think it's because she started off as a lawyer as well. Then she broke away from that and wasn't sure what she wanted to pursue, but she knew that she wanted it to be impactful. So I see how our story, you know, correlates. And she's also just big on, on sharing your story or on, on women sharing their stories. And then um, we definitely all still draw inspiration from the women who took part in the Women's March in 1956. There's no doubt that their voices and the struggle and the march itself echoes in all of our lives today. Just to say also about uh, Michelle Obama, she's very much committed to um, ensuring that girls around the world obtain an education. And I think we can't say often enough of how important it is to educate the girl child here in South Africa, in the US, in Asia, and other parts of this continent. So I think anytime someone uses a platform the size of hers to stress that and to put their weight behind it, we can all be um, inspired by that. So, Tabello, sustainable. Yes. What drove it? What was the rationale behind it? And where is it going to? So, this passion project came as a result of women often asked me about issues pertaining to um, marriage contracts, child maintenance, divorce, estate planning, and um, and issues of domestic violence. And I thought, why is it that my clients who are coming for commercial law services always need help with um, what I like to call their home affairs. Why is this information not accessible to, you know, businesswomen, to, to women on the street? Then I thought, how can I bridge what you would ordinarily pay for at a law firm or what you'd ordinarily have access to if you're sitting in a courtroom, you know? And I thought, let me, let me make a educational platform out of this thing that I now don't have a core objective for. And that's how the tagline came along, that it's a platform uh, dedicated to empowering women through legal education. And that's exactly what I do. So I don't think that a woman has to pay to know um, what the consequences of, of not having a marriage contract in place are. I don't think that a woman has to pay for, um, to learn the importance of having a will, you know? A lot of women would come to me and say, um, my parents were married in community of property. My mom has died and my, my estranged father has come back to kick us out of the house. What are my rights, you know? It's, 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 it's information like that that leaves other women being displaced when a spare mother dies or, or, or a breadwinner who was a mom who didn't have a will in place. So issues like, you know, women didn't even know that child maintenance is something that they can apply for by themselves without, without having to pay an attorney. And it's just sort of teething minor issues like that that I really believe that can change a woman's life and not only a woman's life, but usually a household and, and, and a community at large, because the fewer women they are who are displaced by way of not knowing their basic rights, the, 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 the better our community and the better our country will be. 
the, the longer I am in the profession and the older I get, the more I realize that basic advice, basic citizenship rights, basic rights as yeah. to consumer rights, yeah. all of that being in the profession, I think we take that for granted. I think we don't fully acknowledge the role that lawyers and institutions play in the transmitting of this knowledge in a way that's non-intimidating, mm. that's not threatening, but empowering to people. We're so glad to have heard um, about sustained law. The, the fact that you're using social media to actually extend this knowledge is also a novelty, is it not, Tabello? I think definitely social media has given me a wider reach than I would have had, say, 15 years ago. It's definitely made word of mouth that much easier. But I do believe that the people who need the knowledge the most, unfortunately, are women who don't even have access to a smartphone you know, let alone Facebook or, or Instagram. And I'm really trying to work towards having a, um, a mobile workshop in place once Corona is over and just figuring out a way, how can I get laptops into communities to enable women to, you know, have access to even a webinar where I'm just sharing, um, you know, in, insights on especially having a will in place. Um, you know, for women in rural areas, especially understanding things like if, 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 you, if you're in a rural area and your husband works in, in the suburbs, he most likely has a policy with his employer, you know, just educating women on how to, how to receive funds from those policies once their husbands pass away and just other basic legal knowledge that I can actually get into rural areas where access to data, access to a smartphone, access to social media, access to even education as a whole is still a challenge. I'm, I'm really working towards getting there. And I think that's so important. I, I always stress that access to basic legal services, to the day-to-day -day, um, services is so important because it communicates to ordinary South Africans, to people across the board, that the law is there to serve them as well. It's not just the law for the rich and for the well-connected. Um, that the law and the constitution um, and our rights are there for, for us all, especially the most marginalized of, amongst us. So thank you for all that you do um, to promote that. Thank you. So do you see the, the relevance for digitization of the law, uh, Tabello, in your work so far? 100%, 100%. I mean, 4IR has always been pending and lurking. I think the pandemic just put it, just sped up the process, you know, just escalated things. And, and we've definitely come to um, digitization a lot sooner than we ever would have anticipated. And in trying to find creative ways to share information on, 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 on COVID-19, for example, I hope we can use the same energy to share issues of the law. You know, like you said, basic consumer protection, basic um, labor labor law or um, labor protection, basement, basic em employment law, for example. So I really think that um, digitization, especially during a time such as now, is important. Um, like I said earlier, one of the barriers to that will still remain access to data, access to a smartphone. That's really important. And I think the, this COVID time has highlighted to us the importance of access to um, digitization, to the 
to those things that those of us who are more privileged um, often take for granted. But in these times of limited social contact, we're really seeing the importance of the access and what hinders people when they when they don't have access to these to these tools. But also, Sabelo, getting back to um, your personal story, can you share with us some of the challenges that you've faced and, and how you've overcome those? We know being a young mother is a big challenge for many people. Um, and obviously having your mother there as a, as a support, a strong support system for you. But what have been some other challenges that, um, that you've faced and do you want to share with us some of the learnings that you've taken um, from those challenges? Yeah, I think in my personal life, one of the biggest challenges was definitely being a young mom. I mean, it's still challenging today, but things are so much better, honestly. And I think the way that I managed to overcome that was really just getting the degree. I was never um, oblivious to to the privilege that existed in that. Um, had I had the same set of facts applying to me, but being in a different you know, environment. So I've never been oblivious to that privilege. Um, and I really, really just used that to pursue a, a life where I can say, okay, I've made these mistakes, but I've been able to correct them. I've been given the platform to correct them. And how will I be able to extend that grace to others? Like I said, one of the other challenges that I came across was when I first started my business, there was a, there was a time when I was making a lot of money. Considering that people were saying, when you're going to business, you're not going to make money for the first five years and it's going to be a, like, you're going to be depressed all the time. It's going to be a dry spell, dry season for five years. And in the first year, I really got lucky with good paying clients who had a really good network themselves and referred some of that work to me. So the money started coming in and I became a little bit reckless with, you know, with my finances. That then led me to going back to full-time employment. You know, it really started making me be more conscious about personal finance, about the importance of personal finance. So I think one of the biggest challenges that I faced was a money-related, um, you know, challenge where for a few months I really found myself on the wrong side of debt. That's a tough yeah. lesson to learn. With hindsight, what does an empowered woman look like to you now? Um, from my personal experience, it, it's definitely a woman who's able to manage her finances. And managing, you know, managing finances isn't even something that's new to women. I think most people are very familiar with the household where, you know, their fathers would bring in the money, but their moms would be the one who allocates those funds to various things. So, you know, personal finance isn't even a concept that is really new to us but an empowered woman really looks like someone who can manage her finances somebody who is deliberate about lifting as she rises and someone that is deliberate about using her voice to amplify the voices of those who cannot speak for themselves that's very important and i think you're you're absolutely right on sometimes um we we find people whom even though they are very successful in um, in the public eye in many ways um, still seem to be a little bit insecure and afraid to lift other people up because they think it might undermine um, their own position in their profession or in their society in society and i just think that it's such a wrong way of thinking um, particularly those of us who are further along in our careers it's so important to 
serve as mentors, to serve as advisors to younger people who are coming along because we never solve our problems. Social justice is a journey, it's not a destination. And we stand on the shoulders of those people who come before us. So if we're not willing to offer our shoulders to stand on, then we don't make progress from generation to generation. So that is so important. Let's talk a little bit about um, gender stereotyping, like, oh, you're so sensitive, you're so nurturing. If we don't fit within the mold, if we fit more into what people think of as uh, descriptors for men, like we're ambitious and we're we're powerful and aggressive um, or competitive, yeah. somehow that's, those, are, <laughs> those become negative traits for women and then we become um, demeaned as witches and other horrible names that I won't say. So um, I don't know if you've um, encountered um, people who try and undermine you um, based on these types of stereotypes or what would you have to say to other women who, um, who are experiencing some of these challenges? Uh, very important question. I love that question, particularly because uh, when I first started uh, you know, working for myself, my dad, again, once again, managed to have a very important conversation with me. And he was like, you know, as you, as you may recall that every time you've come to visit me, I've never expected you to do things like cooking or, you know, washing dishes or doing the laundry or whatever. But I've always tried to make it a task between you and your brother to share equally. That is because I was trying to, you know, do away with gender stereotypes and making you know, you believe that your place is in the kitchen and that your brother's place is, you know, helping me fix the car in the garage. When he started teaching me how to drive, he also taught my brother at the same time. You know, he was like, I need both of you to be in the same place and learn how to do it, even if the other is too young to drive. I need both of you to learn the concept of driving at the same time, because if I'm not here to teach the other how to drive, I at least want you to have had the same experience. And the most important thing that my dad taught me about gender stereotypes is that it's not even, he, he really said, I, I dislike the word submission. You know, a woman does not have to submit to a man or a woman does not have to submit to any sort of institutionalized concept or, or patriarchal concept. But if there's mutual respect for each other, people will submit to you anyway. So if, if I respect Siva, she's going to want to hear my ideas. And if she respects me, you know, um, vice versa. And, and he just taught me that the, the basic concept of getting along with people or getting along in a system that seems to be against you is to always humble yourself by being respectful. So I've carried that with me even into spaces where, um, you know, I, I, I thought, okay, here I'm being undermined, you know. And even in teaching people how to treat me, I had to always remember to do it in a respectful manner. So I always try to come from a, a space of respect um, in any interaction that I come across. Yeah, it's almost like treating people who are disrespectful toward us like children. And with children, we know we have to lead by example. Um, and and that is, that's an important um, lesson to learn as well. Thank you. He did emphasize though, sorry, just to go back. He did emphasize though that some of the systems in place, they're not always just um, you know, black and white, and that a lot of patriarchy actually is embedded in religion, you know. Um, he's found that, you know, he was very big on, on, on studying other religions or just becoming more knowledgeable about that. But he found that a lot of, you know, religious beliefs 
really do end up putting women on the back foot. And they're the reason, um, and, and, and religion is the reason why some of the patriarchy that exists has managed to be so strong and so ripe in our communities and in, in, in the world as a whole. Yes. I won't get into a discussion on religion, I think, on, on this platform, because I'm sure we have a broad range of people with beliefs and, you know, they say, don't talk about religion and politics. But, but I, there is truth in yeah. that. Absolutely. There's absolutely truth yeah. in that. Yeah. Um, Seva, I'll hand over to you. So if there was one gender taboo that you could wish were broken, what would that be? Sure. I can't think of one right now. I can't think of one right now. For me, it would Crush. be that um, women are not strong enough. That, that's enough to rile me. Yes, <laughs> What's yes. yours, Teresa? There's so many. I think <laughs> I, don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. But it is also an idea that women are designed to um, engage in certain activities. So mm. it's, it's wrapped up in women are not strong enough. Women are not as good as men. But you, the idea that you can't do certain things because you have particular traits as a woman gets back to the stereotyping that, okay, you have to take care of the children because you're a woman and you're nurturing. Yeah. Um, you have to do the cooking because you're a woman. Um, you have to try and go into certain types of professions because you're a woman. Even within yeah. the law, you shouldn't litigate because you're a woman. Um, you should maybe stick to, you know, trusts and estates, those, uh, those kind Family of law. areas yeah. Yeah, where, except people don't understand how contentious um, family law can be. Absolutely. Uh, so, yes, that I think that would be it. The, the notion that, you know, there's slots for us within society and, um, and those slots are predetermined by your gender. What can be done to ensure that women in law are treated with the same respect and given the same credits as men? Wow. <laughs> so that just ties into the question you've just asked. Um, I honestly think that first and foremost, platforms and conversations like the ones we're having today are very important. I think we've done an incredible job as South African women to set really, really good examples to show that we are able to take up space in, in, in the positions that we occupy in the legal space and outside of the legal profession. I think there are some phenomenal women who have really done phenomenal things. And if that's not enough to prove that women are worthy being CEOs like yourself, Siva, then I don't know what more we need. But conversations like these are very important where we highlight the stories of phenomenal women in law so that younger people can be motivated and you know inspired all the time to 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 break those um, you know gender roles or to break those stereotypes. Some of the challenges that I've ex that I've experienced in, in in the legal profession are not unique to me. You know, they 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 are experienced by so many other women in the profession and outside of the profession. Thank you, and I think that is very important in having these conversations um, and learning about other people's stories. Sometimes you experience things and you think you're the only one and that there's something wrong with you. But then you hear of other people's journeys and you, you do um, understand that it's not just you. It's these are systemic um, things that we all have to fight to to overcome. Um, how does your work with sister-in-law tie into the work you do through the Collective Cares Foundation? And how do you juggle your time between the two organizations? So Collective Case Foundation was a manner for me to give back 
because I've always believed, like I said at the beginning of the conversation, that you have to, you know, lift as you rise. And, um, you know, earlier in the conversation that I always said that I wish that, um, you know, the, the, the grace that was extended to me by my mom in, 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 you know, me pursuing education, that I can give it to someone else. So there's a, there's a children's home that I work very closely with here in Centurion called Dimponyana Children's Home. And I just run different campaigns every year, um, teaching soft skills, how to draft CVs, how to prepare for interviews, um, providing sanitary way for, for the young girls there. Um, also contributing books and doing book drives for their library, very big on libraries. And um, as Teresa mentioned earlier, you know, public libraries are very good, but if you're at a children's home, you don't always have access to a public library. So I've really tried to work um, around bringing books to them and setting up their own children's library at the home. So Collective Cares Foundation, which is now the Sister-in-Law Foundation, I've had to change the name because I'm doing more work with Sister-in-Law. Um, it's the same thing, just giving back to the community. And it's really easy when it's not a, you know, it's not a task for you. It's something that I'm passionate about. So I never have to find ways to juggle the two. I never feel like um, one is suffering at me paying attention to the other. It's something that I'm continuously doing in the background, just ensuring that every opportunity I get to lift um, as I rise, I take it with both hands. Great, thank you. Um, Siva? So quick wrap, Tabella. What is your advice to aspirant women lawyers? Sure. There is an audience even in one person. So if you can use your voice to change the mindset or to change the perspective of one person, then your job is, you know, halfway done. I really think people undermine the strength or the power of their own voices and they undermine the strength or the, or the power of their own stories. But um, there's always someone looking up to you. You're an inspiration to someone. Your story inspires someone. Um, how you advocate for people and how you defend yourself also really inspires someone. So really just use your voice to change someone's perspective and to just be a you know, board of positive energy to others. Thank you so much. And um, these hours go by so quickly, um, which just means that, um, <laughs> that the story is so compelling. Thank you for sharing your inspiring story of courage and strength with us. And you've certainly given us um, a lot of food for thought on how our roles as women, both young and old, can shape the society we yearn to see in this beautiful country. So thank you so much, um, Tabello. And um, we look forward to seeing and hearing so much more from you as we move forward. So we're going to end with a call to action. What is your story of courage and strength? And how are you continuing the legacy of the women of 1956, of finding ways to narrate your unique stories and making your unique voices heard? So thank you all for joining us today. And we will now hand back to Tilly. Tabello, it is such an honor for you to have shared your story with us. By sharing your story through our Stories Matter, you have truly inspired, motivated, and encouraged us. Thank you for your time and have a wonderful day further. Goodbye. <gasps> Only one sale away from the Shopify 1000 Club. Is that a thing? Wow, Mom, have a cookie. I'll take one. <laughs> Dad. These are delicious. You need to sell them. 
Mm-hmm, you should. Mom! No, seriously. Let's set you up on Shopify. It's easy. I always knew you would build your own business. Guys! Yum. Yum. Okay, if mom can do it, then why not? Number 1,000! Start selling today with Shopify for free. Sell online, in person, and anywhere else your future holds. And manage it all from a single place. No design or coding experience necessary. It's why every minute of every day, something amazing happens. A new seller makes their first sale with Shopify. Plus, with on-demand business courses and 24-7 support, Shopify is with you every step of the way. So, when you're ready to bring your idea to life, build it on Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of ideas around the world. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free 14-day trial at shopify.com slash free 22 go to shopify.com slash free 22 and start selling today shopify.com slash free 22